Thank you for downloading Hebron, Oklahoma's podcast. You can find out more about us on our website at hebronok.org. Now, here is our latest episode from the sermon series based on the Acts of the Apostles. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him going to heaven. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Acts chapter 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Hallelujah. Let's sing that chorus that we sang earlier in Malayalam. Ah, hallelujah, jayam hallelujah, yeshu kathavu jeevikyunnu. Ah, hallelujah, jayam hallelujah, yeshu kathavu jeevikyunnu. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that this morning that you would be pleased to reveal your Son to us in a deeper way, God. We have heard many messages. We have read the Word many times. Lord, there's a danger that this could just become one of the many things that we hear and we pass through our ears. But Lord, we pray that in a special way that you would make it known to us the the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Make it known to us that He is alive and He is seated at your right hand. And we pray, O God, as we discuss and as we think about these weightier things, that it will become understandable to us, even from the young to the old. I pray, O God, that you use my shortcomings and you would, Lord, you would make it whole by your grace and by the power of your Spirit. I pray that you would speak in a deeper way into every heart. I pray that the knowledge of Jesus Christ would transform every heart this morning and we would worship you in spirit and truth to exalt Jesus above all. And in the holy precious name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, as we continue in this series, uh, we're at a point where Je- Jesus was, has been with the disciples for 40 days after his resurrection. And uh, in Acts 1-3, it says that Jesus proved to them that he, he was alive with, with many proofs. And some versions say that he, he proved that he was alive with convincing proofs or, um, or infallible proofs. 
And he was, he was what he was doing. He was uh, having them touch him, right? Uh, to, to see that, hey, this is flesh and blood. I'm not, I'm not spirit. I, I, I'm just like you. He was eating physical food in front of them. Um, you know, he was eating broiled fish and, and honey sauce. And I don't know if any, any of you have tried that combination, but I'll let you all do that. But Jesus did eat broiled fish and honey sauce. Um, and he, uh, and, you know, he was speaking to them in a personal way as, as any human being would speak to another. Um, his human presence was felt by all the witnesses. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you know, Jesus appeared at one time to over 500 people of his, of his followers. So Jesus went above and beyond to prove that he was human. And, and he didn't have to do that when he was, uh, when he was uh, prior to his uh, crucifixion. He didn't have to do that because generally people knew that he was the son of a carpenter. He was the son of Mary. Uh, he grew up in front of them. He grew up in the stature and wisdom of the Lord. So his humanity was not in question at that time. But doubts began to arise when the disciples, for one, started, saw Jesus rise up from the dead. It was well established that, that he was dead and he was buried. And when Jesus appeared in front of them, there was a shock and an awe and a, and a confusion amongst the disciples. And, and, and Jesus goes above and beyond to, to address their doubts. We know the story of Thomas, um, where he, he he's very graciously invites Tom. He comes when Thomas is in the room and shows him his, his wounds and says, touch and, 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 he, he, and, and then you, we know the experience of what Thomas had to say, my Lord and my God. So, you know, in, in this 40 days uh, after his resurrection, you know, Jesus is giving, an, again, another crash course into, uh, into all the prophecies concerning him. He's giving a summary just before he was to depart. And you know, towards the end of the Gospel of Luke, it says that uh, Jesus opened the disciples' minds to understand the Scriptures. Jesus explained all these things before when he was discipling them and, carry, and, and walking with them, but there was a, in, and in some parts of the scripture it says that their minds could not grasp. They listened, but they could not understand. But Jesus opened their, eye, their minds to understand scriptures. And that is what each one of us also need, an opening of our, our minds to understand scripture. As we grow in this Christian walk, there we often come to the knowledge of Christ hearing very basic things. But over the course of our walk, God opens our minds to understand the depths of His Word. And I, I, my, my encouragement to each one of you who was in this walk of faith is to ask yourself, that how much have you experienced the opening of your mind to see Scripture? How much, how much of a desire do you have to read and understand Scripture? Is Scripture just a means for you to feel encouraged just so that you can be motivated to do big things on this earth? Or are you seeing Jesus revealed through every page of Scripture? Are you seeing, when you look, read through the Old Testament, are you seeing the prophecies being fulfilled? Or are you seeing future prophecies that meant to, are going to be fulfilled in Christ? That ought to be a desire of our heart. God, open my eyes to, or my eye, not just my eyes, but my mind to understand your Scripture so in this context, in this setting, we're now going to our verse. In Acts 1.6, out of all the questions the disciples can ask in this moment, this is going to be their last question they ask before Jesus departs. 
They ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, this issue of Jesus being the one to restore the kingdom of Israel at that moment was almost like an obsession. It was, a, it was something that the disciples thought was going to happen at that time in that place. And there's a good reason for that. You know, they were under oppression by the Romans. They, and not just them, the Jewish people, the pious ones, especially in their synagogues, they were talking about this, that one day their nation is going to be restored. There's going to be a Messiah that will come and redeem us. And we're going to be, and that Messiah will reign forever and ever. And when the disciples joined with Christ, all of them had this mentality in mind that I'm going to be part of this new kingdom that's going to be on earth and in that, that's what, you, when you look at the, you know, how the disciples acted throughout, you know, throughout Jesus' ministry, we can kind of see hints at this. You know? um, that's why the disciples couldn't understand that when Jesus said, I'm going uh, to be given to the, the Gentiles to be, to be killed and, 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 and tortured, and they couldn't understand what. So, I mean, aren't you going to be the, the Messiah that's going to redeem us? And so that's in the back of their mind. They, they didn't want to bring that up often. But then Peter, being the person that he is, you know, one time when Jesus said the same thing about the, the, when he was predicting his own suffering, he, he almost blocks Jesus and says, what are you saying? He's, he's saying, he, he says he rebuked Jesus, saying, let it not be so. Why are you being so negative? And we know the story, right? That Jesus says, you know, get behind me, Satan. This explains like, why Peter even disowned Jesus. And most of the disciples fled Jesus when, when he was being given to the, um, given to the, the high priest and, and then to the, the Romans. This explains, this explains to some extent why Judas even betrayed Jesus. Because he saw a sinking ship and he wanted to make some money while he was at it. The mother and James and John, we know the story of mother and James and John of Zebedee, uh, she wanted to make sure her sons were on the right and left side of Jesus when he reigned in this new kingdom. So there was a real obsession about this future kingdom and then they believed that it, that was going to be, that, that the time was going to come. They were not aware of the fact that Jesus was, was going to be ascend, ascending to heaven shortly. So in verse 7, we see Jesus' response. Jesus saying, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, Jesus is saying, it is none of your business. It is none of your business to know these things. Or in other words, you know, nowadays you hear the phrase, you know, this is above your pay grade. This is not, for, this is not the thing for you to obsess about and, and think about. And this is just a mystery that how the God the Father fixed it's our fixing these things. He has authority to fix the times and the seasons. And, and in the Gospels, Jesus says, For that day and hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. And that's a mystery that in the, even in, the, you know, the, even in the, the persons of the Trinity, that the, only the Father is aware and, and, the, and the Son is, is submitted to the Father's foreknowledge and will. And what, is, what does Jesus say should be their business? Clearly, it's not to think about the times and the seasons and when this kingdom is coming, but what, what is Jesus saying their business is? We see that partially uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, which was read last week, and also in verse 8. In verse 4, Jesus says, Wait for the promise of the Father. 
That's, what, that's your first business. Wait. Second, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will be my witnesses. And that's the second business. Wait for the promise of the Father, for the empowerment of the Spirit. Second, you will be my witnesses. Not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Nowadays in the church, we have, we're once again mixing up these priorities. You know, many, many are not taking heed of what Jesus said in verse 7. And we're, you know, we, we feel ourselves chasing after the times and seasons. We, we get maybe over, we overemphasize eschatology. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that it is wrong or anything to, to, to teach and to talk and to think about these things. But the overemphasis of it above the weightier matters is concerning. Some make a lot of money on the speculation. Like we, we, there was a season in the early 2000s, the Left Behind series made tons of money on a lot of speculation. And, you know, and now influential evangelical leaders are, are building political advocacy in Washington, trying to force the hand of politicians to almost force God's hand in accelerating the preparing, or accelerating the second coming of Christ. It, it just seems out of place for us to focus so much on this when Jesus clearly said that this is none of our business. Is, the Father knows the time when, he will come, when He's going to send His Son, when He's going to reunite the heavens and the earth. What we ought to do is we, wait for, we should ought to wait for the, the empowerment and the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit and to become witnesses. The gospel must be reached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come is what Jesus said. And that is our job. Our job is not to, to get stuck in the speculation and theories, but our job is to be witnesses. Hallelujah. So, so what, 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 what do we should do? What, you know, we ought to be more concerned about are we sharing the gospel to the lost? Are we the sodden light on the earth? Are we the healing balm to this hurting world? Or are we hurting the hurt, this hurt world and broken world even further? Are we the peacemakers or are we the ones causing conflict? Are we the most servant-hearted people that, that can be found on this earth because of the, the attitude of mindset of Christ in us? Are we the most sincere and faithful workers in our workplace? Because we're not working for our bosses, we're not working for our companies, but we are working as if we are working for Jesus. Are we without hypocrisy? Because we know that we are, we are walking this walk in front of a God who sees and knows everything. Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus wants us to obey, wants us to obey Him out of love for Him. How do we treat the fatherless, the orphans? How do we treat widows and the refugees? How do we help? Do, are we helping the poor and needy? These are the ways that we can become witnesses to this broken world. And we know this. The world is not just interested in our words. We need to preach the gospel with our words. That's the only way that the message of gospel is carried. It's through the, through the word of God and, our, and, and the messengers. But also, the world is also interested in seeing how we put these beliefs and these words into action. So, you know, if we're not able to put these things into action and it's all just words, we're not being faithful witnesses. And, you know, and, and we'll talk about how can we become faithful witnesses when we talk about the experience at Pentecost and, and all of that. And now let's uh, kind of move forward to verse 9 through 11. 
Verse 9 through 11 says, And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We talk a lot about the death of Christ, and we talk a lot about the resurrection of Christ, and we ought to do that at every service. But rarely do we, we hear about the importance of the ascension of Christ into heaven. So what, what is the significance of the ascension of Christ? And, and we know this, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. 100% God and 100% man. And, and even today, even as we speak right now, Jesus Christ is sitting, uh, seated at the right hand of God, fully God and fully man. And it is something that it boggles our mind. We, it, we cannot even understand and fathom it. But we have to, we have to reconcile with that, with that, with that truth that as we know right now that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, fully God and fully man. His, man, his humanity, um, his humanity keeps him seated in heaven, but his divinity uh, allows, and, and we, uh, Pastor mentioned this last week, that Jesus is, uh, uh, the Spirit, Holy Spirit is also known as the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Jesus is all over. He's omniscient, omnipresent. So what is the Significance of this ascension. Number one, this means that we have a perfect God-man advocate before the Father. You know, mankind is asking today, does God know me? Does God care about me? We know this about Jesus. We hear this every, almost every Sunday, that Jesus lived the full human experience while he was on earth. He experienced hunger, temptation, loneliness, physical torment, he experienced the full extent of the burden that is placed on fallen humanity. And he felt deep compassion. He, gave, he forgave the sins of those seeking uh, healing and forgiveness. His heart was warmed by the sinful woman who came before him, cried at his feet, and poured, uh, poured a perfume on him as an act of worship. This very same Jesus, with this very same attitude and heart, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is why our heart and our desire ought to be to, to, to devour the Gospels, to devour Scriptures, to understand the mind of Christ. Because this very Christ is alive today. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is, he is interceding on our behalf. The, the greatest goal of our heart ought to be to learn the depths of Christ and the knowledge of Christ, to experience what He experienced so does God know me? Absolutely, yes. God knows us better than any human being will ever know us through Jesus Christ. Does God care for me? Absolutely, yes. Jesus can do for us as God what no one else can ever do for us. And that's why Scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Because Jesus is for us. We know Jesus is our faithful, sympathetic high priest who intercedes on our behalf. He, he's praying. From the, from the incident that we know from the account of Peter, he, he was saying to Peter that, I'm praying for you so that your faith will not fail. 
how much, how much would he, you think he's praying for us even, that, that, we, that we will be kept secure in him. Number two, the significance is that because Jesus ascended into heaven, we have received the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you know, while it is advantageous, Jesus said, while it is great for me to stay, it is more advantageous that, that your, the helper comes. One of the things that Bible scholars say is that when Jesus was coronated as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that that, that initiated the move from the Father to send the promised Holy Spirit. Just as in, in olden days when a king was coronated, the king would, would shower favor on his people. When Jesus was coronated as the, 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 the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he gave the ultimate gift to his people, and that was his himself. That was the promised Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. When Jesus was on earth, you know, it would have been awesome just to think about that Jesus being on earth for years and years and years and Jesus reigning uh, even now as we speak. But there was limitations because Jesus is fully God and fully human. But through, through the promised Holy Spirit, He is now able to live through each one of us. He's able to extend His, His power and reach into the uttermost corners of the earth. So it is a good thing what Jesus did for us. And lastly, he, because Jesus ascended into heaven, or he is seated in the heavenly place. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. And this is a great mystery that because, and this is the greatest mystery that we read to the church, that those who believe in Christ, those who are justified by his blood, are united with him. We are one in Christ. We are the body of Christ and he is the head. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, it's not on the screen, but it says, you know, God raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It is His immeasurable grace and kindness towards us, us being enemies, us being uh, the vessels of wrath, being shown kindness and grace through Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ, because Christ is seated in the right hand of God, we have incredible access like no one else. Many people have this misnomer that you need to have another human being to, to gain access to God, but we have God Himself, the God-man Jesus Christ, with which He understands us. He is our perfect he is a perfect exchange. He understands us completely. He is there. He understands when we cry out and pray. He understands what that means. Yet He is God and He is able to grant to us all that we ask according to His will. In verse 11, it says, and my time is running short, um, this Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And this is a scriptural promise that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I'm not going to read those verses. Uh, uh, those, you guys can flash those verses as I go through Daniel chapter 7, 13 to 14, talking about the Son of Man, giving dominion and glory and kingdom to all the peoples, everlasting dominion. And First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 we know this great promise, we hear it, especially in, in, in funerals and memorial services, that the dead in Christ will ra rise first. 
And those who are alive, who are left, are we caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be always with the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me, let me invite the worship team to come forward. Hallelujah. So today we heard that, you know, we ought not to be concerned about the times and the seasons. You know, Jesus has given us ideas, right? He has given us hints about when his time is arriving. One of the things that Pastor mentioned even today about the, the Jewish people coming to Christ is one of those many signs that we, we can kind of sense that the time is near. And, and across centuries, even from the early church onward, they thought that the coming of Christ will come in their lifetime. And, and that there's nothing wrong in, in, in thirsting and desiring for that. That is the prayer in, in the Lord's prayers. Thy kingdom come. That ought to be the prayer and the desire of the church. And in every century, in every season, it ought to be, God, please come and take over this broken world. All creation is groaning. I am groaning inwardly for the revealing of the sons of God. And that ought to be a desire and a prayer. The number one prayer that we ought to pray is, Jesus, come soon. Come quickly. And as we, now we are preparing for songs to sing to Jesus, I want to take you to the last verses in Luke chapter 24. It, it, as you know, Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts are just a continuation. The, the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes describes the, the scene in a different way. If you go to Luke chapter 24, 50 to 53, and I'll read that here. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted his, up his hands and blessed them. And he came, now he came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So we are seeing... What is the reaction when we are able to see Christ lifted up? And when we see Christ in His glory, one, we will worship Him. Second, we will obey Him. Just like the early church did in, in, in going to Jerusalem and waiting, let's obey Jesus with great joy. Not just with joy, but great joy. And to continue to praise Him in His presence as the saints are gathered together at any moment, not just Sundays, that we will continually gather together to praise Jesus. And for us, we may, may, might think, okay, this, we're removed a lot more centuries. Well, well, those people at the time, they got to see Jesus face to face, so it makes sense they can worship more easily. But, you know, the book of Luke was written by a Gentile who did not have first-hand account of Jesus. They didn't see Jesus face to face, at least from what we know. The book was written to a person, Theophilus, who also did not have first-hand account of Jesus. And these books were written to Theophilus so that they have certainty in the faith. And so, and then in the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8 that even though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So, I mean, I don't know, I'm speaking to somebody who, who may, might think, you know, this is so, that's old news. This is things that happened 2,000 plus years ago. I don't know if I can believe in it now, but, but I, I'm encouraging you that, that, even if we cannot see Christ, that He showers Himself on us in the form of a love for Him, in a form of an inexpressible joy. Is that your experience? Do you experience an inexpressible joy? Do you experience a love for Jesus? If not, let's stand to the presence of God. Let us ask the Lord. This is important, church. We need an inexpressible joy. We need...
to experience a love for Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to experience this inexpressible joy knowing that you are seated at the right hand of God. This very moment, you are seated at the right hand of God and we worship you, Jesus, along with saints and angels in heaven. We lay aside every burden of our heart. Oh, clear our eyes from all the dirtiness and filthiness of this world so that our eyes may be clear to see you high and lifted up, Jesus. Help our hearts to be filled with the love for you, Jesus, so that we may obey you, that we may search scriptures and devour scriptures to know how you are like. Help us to never be satisfied with knowledge that we heard from other people or knowledge that we read in books, but help us to experience you, Jesus, the power of resurrection, to be a partaker of suffering, to understand you, understand your mind, to be unselfish. We thank you and praise you, God. I pray that you'll be exalted in our service this morning, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.